Entrepreneurs will save the world. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope called The Dose of Hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at addvalue2life.com slash dose. Addvalue2life.com slash dose. Today's guest is Bill Fairman. Bill is the co-founder of Carolina Hard Money a hard money lender that specializes in short-term purchase money loans with a construction component for real estate investors and builders in the Southeast. He's had a unique opportunity to be involved in literally thousands of mortgage transactions and thus has seen almost every type of scenario play out, both good and bad, giving him a unique depth of experience in the real estate investment space. Bill Fairman and Robert share how the journey has left him wanting more control over his income, he had an understanding of loan numbers and learned how money works as an investor and loan provider. Building relationships and hanging out with people who have done it and are willing to share their wisdom. The biggest success has been in the ability to give back to the community and help others. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just so excited to have this conversation and uh, can't wait to learn about capital and building a business and, and whatever else you can share with us. Well, thank you, Robert. And I'm also excited because I want to learn that stuff too. <laughs> well, we'll learn together then. <laughs> Listen, uh, the reason I'm in the real estate finance business in the first place is because it is constantly evolving and changing. It uh, definitely keeps it interesting. Nice. So I've just let everyone start their own and, and share their journey and, and how they got into this entrepreneurial space and, and then what they're working on now. Okay. Excellent. So I'm assuming you'd like me to start from the beginning. <laughs> well, as much of the beginning as we can handle. Yeah. Okay. So listen, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I was, I, I went, I was a terrible student, by the way. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. And then it dawned on me that I guess I need a profession when I get out, so I better look at something. And a friend of mine's dad uh, owned a, a dental lab, and you know they dental laboratories make appliances for dentists to put in people's mouths. Um, and I went to his lab one day, and I went, "Wow, this is really cool stuff. This is engineering and it's art all at the same time, and it's always solving unique problems." And I figured, well, I wouldn't be bored because I'm constantly solving unique problems. So I went to school to learn that. And I worked in the uh, dental laboratory profession for about 10 years. Uh, it was really nice because I was able to get in and out of school quickly and work right in my field right away. 
and it was a, a nice profession that w once you learn the ropes, you can open up your own business fairly quickly. Unfortunately, um, at the time, they a lot of dentists were sending their appliances off to the Philippines. They had virtual dental <laughs> technicians. I have it's funny. I have a virtual assistant from the Philippines, and I love her. Uh, she does a great job. She's more educated than I am. Uh, but, you know, it was a lot cheaper to, uh, you could just UPS this stuff off. And um, anyway, that and technology was squeezing uh, the profits from, from that industry. My father-in-law at the time said, you know, you should try, he owned a mortgage company. He said, you should get into the mortgage business. And I said, why is that? He says, well, you have a personality. And I went, that's really all you need to know <laughs> when you're dealing with people's financial futures. <laughs> he said, pretty much. Uh, so I tried to do both jobs because uh, at the end I was self-employed in the dental business. And so I, it, it's hard for me to go after existing customers and explain to them that, uh, yes, I'm also an expert at mortgages. <laughs> Even and, I make, been, and I make teeth in my spare time. That's right. Since I've been doing business with you for the last 10 years as a dental technician, I'm also proficient in mortgages. <laughs> so I had to go out and get all new business. So I tried to do both at the same time. And you know what happens when you do that? You, you're terrible at, at both jobs. So it wasn't until I completely devoted my time to the mortgage industry that uh, things took off. And, and I was very fortunate. I did have an aptitude for the numbers and I, I was uh, pretty good at explaining, uh, taking the complicated and making it uh, simple and explaining the benefits and the features of uh, different financial products. So it, it worked out very well for me. And I was in the mortgage business for 30 years before the uh, crash of 2008 happened, actually 25 years. And when you're in the mortgage business, you're basically self-employed, even if you work for someone, because you have to uh, go out and find the customers. Uh, you, you're on commission only most of the time. And uh, that, that was the way it was. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want someone else dictating, you know, what my income is going to be. That said, in 2008, <laughs> it was it was tough. We went from... Uh, about 25% of the industry in a very short period of time. And I ended up in the end, I had to file for bankruptcy and I, I didn't overspend. I mean, my, both my cars were paid for when this happened. We, we had a, a fairly modest house compared to a lot of people in my industry. Uh, but at, at some point I was only making about a quarter of what I had been making yearly, uh, depleted my savings. That's another, another story with the 401k. I should have cashed it out right away. Instead of letting the stock market cut it in half first. <laughs> um, but I ended up borrowing $2,700 from my parents to get my commercial driver's license. And I was a long haul truck driver for two years to make sure that, uh, you know, we could make our mortgage payments and, and keep our house. My, my wife hadn't worked in 13 years outside of the home and she ended up getting a, a job in a, uh, a factory doing piecework as well. So uh, you 
you do what you do, you need to do to survive, number one. And uh, I, I guess the saying here is that uh, adversity builds character. Right. And in the South, we say uh, we're ate up with character. So <laughs> it was uh, eye-opening and it was very educational. I was uh, very humbled and appreciated what I had. It, it turned out to be the best thing for me. Uh, eventually, my sister, who was also in the mortgage industry, and she ended up having to uh, close her company, and she went to seminary school. And when she got out, uh, she started uh, doing what was called hard money loans. Uh, she was doing that on the side. She knew investors that had money they needed to uh, make money with. She knew people who needed money. Uh, to do their projects and she would broker their, their, their deals. They had uh, IRA investment money that they needed to have invested. And she would make loans to these um, real estate investors that were doing fix and flip type properties. Now this was in 2010 when people thought you were crazy because the values kept going down on homes, right? Uh, you're not supposed to, you know, buy high and sell low. <laughs> but it, it doesn't really matter as long as you're selling it for more than you pay for it. Uh, it still works in any market. Um, anyway, eventually she talked me into going into business with her because she was, you know, kind of running out of uh, help. And since I had 25 years in the mortgage industry, it worked out really well for us. So um, now we have a, a company that we did $40 million in loans last year. We did $34 million in loans this past quarter. <laughs> wow. So, um, it's a wonderful business to be in. Well, and now it's certainly not a good time to be in the mortgage industry. <laughs> well, it's not a good time to be in the mortgage industry if you run a strictly a mortgage company, your typical uh, conforming mortgage company. Uh, you know, rates are going up. So really the only business you're getting are people that are refinancing to turn their house into a piggy bank, right? <laughs> because they're trying to get that cash out, that equity. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, values are high right now. Uh, or people that are trying to buy homes. And it's harder and harder for people to buy homes because uh, they're less affordable because rates are getting higher. And there's looking forward... Uh, values on properties are going to continue to go up because we have a shortage of houses and we have a high demand for single family homes. And then now uh, your first time home buyers and your empty nesters are competing with institutions that are buying up homes and turning them into rental property. Mm. So either way, it still bodes well for our business because we only deal with real estate investors. Um, the demand for single family housing is very high and there's still going to be people buying homes. Listen, I bought my first home when I was 19 years old, Jimmy Carter was president and the FHA mortgage rate was 14 and a half percent. People were still buying homes then. So, you know, high interest rates are relative. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and we'll most likely have to get used to higher interest rates. Yeah. Well, listen, been a little spoiled over the last Ten years. <laughs> You're right. Things, it, they're not, 
on the mortgage side and the housing side, things are not bad. They're starting to normalize. But it things have been so off kilter for so long, you're expecting properties just to continue to go up in value. Uh, you know, it, it's okay because you're paying 3%, 2% for your interest. And they're all still affordable. Now that interest rates are going up, they're less affordable. And even though the market's, the, the, the real estate market is slowing, that's a good thing. Um, it's funny, I, I read a, a headline that said, uh, mortgage business is, you know, slowing, blah, blah, blah. And then you read into the article and uh, they're complaining that instead of 10 people bidding on a house, now there's only five. Right. <laughs> um, well, here, in, you know, here in Denver over the last, you know, uh, three years, probably at least two years, even through, even through the last two years, you know, of COVID people were paying, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 above, mm -hmm. above asking right? yeah. <laughs> to get a, to get a house. And so yeah. the, the, the market's been nuts in, in that regard. And now appraisal values are starting to match these, these higher values because, because of demand. Well, when you're comparing a home, you have to compare it to a closed sale. And if somebody's paid 50, 60 more than asking price, guess what? It's a closed sale and that's the new market. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it's been very, you know, very interesting, but um, it's, it's certainly a different environment than 2008. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do not see a, people keep asking about the housing bubble, the housing crash. I, I, I don't see that happen. I just see Prices beginning to normalize a bit. Uh, the rate of appreciation is going to slow, which is good. That's what we need. We need market forces. The only way we're going to uh, slow down the appreciation is by uh, fewer people being able to afford a home, which means they're going to spend uh, more time on the market, which means people will lower their prices or lower their expectations because most people if they're putting their house up for sale, they need to sell it because they're going somewhere else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. In most cases. So uh, listen, it's, it's just bringing a little, like I said, normality back to the market. Listen, a, a stable market is four to six months worth of inventory. And we had gotten to a point in 2020 where it was 1.9 nationally there. I mean, there's some, some places where it's uh, less than 30 days, but, uh, you know, you have to look at all these statistics nationally. There, there's always going to be places where people want to go, and there's always going to be places where people are leaving. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so if they're leaving, they're going to get a really good deal. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, building the following, creating the, the, the following for your business that, through connections, the, the power sure. of connections. Uh, listen, that's a, that, that's a great uh, topic actually we up until this past year we didn't even have a marketing person we weren't doing any advertising we um, were members of real estate clubs and we had a, a website that was what the name of the website was what we do and where we do it and so it was a, a nice easy phrase to search and so that was that worked out well for us but we are big proponents of mastermind groups and networking. 
we spend a lot of money on uh, mastermind groups. We're, I'm a member of four. My uh, partner and sister is a member of five. It's, it's difficult to get to all these, but all of them are, are worth it because we get to uh, network and meet people that are going to raise the bar constantly for you. And, and that's what you need. You're, you constantly need to grow. Our business is doing well because we, do, we, we network well. Uh, we help our customers on the borrowing side uh, with their projects. We give them advice. We, we give them more value than they would get from a, a typical lender. Uh, we're there. I mean, we even talk about dragging them over the finish line sometimes when they run into trouble. <laughs> um, same thing with our investors. You know, we have investors that invest we have a fund that people can invest in and that's where we get our money to make our loans with. So we're doing the same thing with our investors, educating them on the importance of diversification, uh, the importance of asking the right questions to the different investment sponsors. Um, you know, it's easy for people to say, yeah, I'll give you this particular return. Do they have a track record? How do they know their business? Are, are they um, swinging for the fences or are they happy getting singles and doubles? <laughs> if you put a baseball analogy to it and, and sometimes it's okay to swing for the fences. It depends on where you are in life. And uh, do you already have what you need and you're now trying to protect it? Or are you trying to build up that savings and you got, you know, 30 years to go? Um, all of that you have to take into consideration. But we, we, we teach people how to do that and how to evaluate uh, those needs. And it's all different from everyone. But uh, the, the networking part is, is so important. Um, you need to surround yourself with people of like minds. Uh, and I forget who said this, but it might've been Einstein. I don't know. It wasn't Einstein, <laughs> uh, but you are the product of the five closest people to you, uh, basically. And I, I think I Jim Rohn was the latest. The, okay. The, the, Rohn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what's the other one? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. So you still have to hang out with family. <laughs> <laughs> but you can choose how long you want to hang out with them. That's right. That, that, that is true. Uh, and, and really, uh, my group, the group of friends I hang out with now are considerably different than when I was in my 20s. <laughs> I, I agree. They don't stay out near as late. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, don't, it's, it's so funny. We went to that. Uh, we had a graduation. My niece graduated from college over the weekend. And we're, you know, we're all celebrating uh, we went to dinner. Actually, it was more of a late lunch. And it's funny, seven o'clock, all of us are back at the hotel going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a there's a reason for that, right? Because we recognize the power of the morning and, and the power yeah. of of how your brain works in the morning and, and your ability to get things done in the morning. So that leads sure. me to two two directions. Uh, and you can choose which one you want to go through. Um, a routine or the value of celebration which we'll get back to either one. So you're going to have to talk about them both. Um, I'm big on routines. If, if I don't do my normal daily routine, I, you know, I'm kind of off balance the rest of the day. It seems like. Um, so, so what are the non-negotiables in your routine? Uh, I must 
get at least 45 minutes of working out in. Have to do it. Um, another negotiable is I have to have a morning cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I must listen to one of my uh, audible uh, books on the way to work. I, I'm very, I'm fortunate and cursed that I'm about 40 minutes away from my home when I go to the office. <laughs> so I'm cursed because, you know, fuel prices are high and nobody, no one likes being in traffic for 40 minutes, but I'm blessed because that gives me an opportunity to uh, become a better person by listening to uh, audible books that help me expand. Absolutely. So, so let's dig a little into the value of celebration and, and especially on the business side, you know, celebrating, you know, goal achievement, celebrating, you know, successes along the way. Sure. Well, I'm in the middle of uh, The Gap um, is a, a book that's by, I don't have my phone with me right now. <laughs> All right, pull it up. Um, anyway, the, the Gap is a book just about that. Um, we don't, we, we tend not to celebrate our little achievements. We set a goal, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And if we don't get to that goal, then we're disappointed in a certain period of time. But we don't take the time to look back and see how much we've achieved trying to get to that particular goal. It's like taking a walk and walking into the horizon that you see in front of you. Well, you know, good and well, you're never going to get to the horizon <laughs> while you're walking. But when you turn around and look back, you get to see how far you've been trying to get to that horizon. So we, we tend not to celebrate the little wins and we should, we should always keep a journal um, and, and, and kind of set ourselves up to understand that we have made progress, even though we, we haven't gotten to that um, big, hairy, audacious goal that we've set for ourselves. <laughs> is that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. So the gap in the middle is by Carol De Devaney. Um, does that sound right? Nope. Uh-oh. Um, I think it's the, well, I'll think of that in a minute. I should, like I said, I should have brought my, my phone with me because there's another, another uh, part to the title, not just the gap, it's a gap in something else. Okay. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we put it in the notes. Yeah, we'll put it. Yeah. Make sure I, I get it at the end. We'll put it in the notes. It's a great book. Um, I've also read uh, another book by him and it's who not, uh, who not how, uh, and it, it's about, uh, when you do set up a company, you, you set up a, a goal for a, a project. It's not about how you get the project done. It's about who you can find that will do the project for you. Nice. <laughs> because a lot of this stuff is not your expertise. You come up with the idea, but you're not the best at uh, putting the project together. You, you find the who that will do a much better job than you will. So who not how is Dan Sullivan. There you go. And Dr. Uh, it was co-written. Uh, there's another... Oh, Benjamin Hardy. 
Yeah, both of them have done the 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 uh, the, the book about the the gap. I, I don't know, but anyway, uh, just look up gap and gain. Gap and gain. There it is. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Part of being older is not remembering squat. So. <laughs> that's why so we write stuff keep, down. That's why, that's why you have to keep notes. <laughs> so so let's talk a little bit about the difference between a, a traditional mortgage and, and what it's used for and then our money loan, like what you guys offer. All right. So a, a traditional loan is someone who is, for the most part, is uh, get, buy, buying using a mortgage to buy a home that you're going to live in, or you're getting a mortgage for a second home that you're most likely not going to rent out. You're just going to it's going to be your place when you feel like you want to go on vacation. You have uh, conventional loans that will still allow you to do investor property, meaning you can buy rental properties with a conventional lender. The problem is with most of those loans is on the investor side, they don't take into account uh, enough of what the property earns versus uh, they're, they're, they're basing their decision on your global income. They're not taking into account the property, what it's going to earn. You get into a more traditional uh, commercial loan through a bank, and they will take that into consideration. They'll they'll look at the property itself. What's what's that property going to earn? And then they'll uh, value that property based on the earning uh, potential. Uh, but they're, they're they're using the same kind of comparables like we talked about earlier. When you have a closed sale and and that sale has set the market, in the investor side of things on income producing properties, they're taking uh, other comparable properties and what they're earning currently. And then that sets the value of the property, not the sales price, but the earning uh, potential each year based on other properties that have sold. Or uh, they don't have to sell. They just have to show uh, comparables through management companies on what they're earning each year. Okay. Um, what we do in the private mortgage side of things is that we're not, as stringent on um, the guidelines as some of the banks and some of the traditional lenders. We cost more money because we're not as stringent, but we allow people to close in the name of their entity, uh, LLC or a, a trust. Uh, we've even closed loans in, to, in the name of an IRA. I, I don't recommend <clears throat> you do that with a hard money lender, uh, because there's some tax ramifications for your IRA if you do that, but you can certainly do those. Um, without getting too much in the weeds, um, when you're investing your IRA and you borrow against it, you can't do what's called a, um, you have to do a non-recourse loan, meaning you can't be personally responsible for it because you're making the loan to the IRA, not you. There's, there's a few rules in an IRA. Um, and there are uh, commercial loans through commercial banks for commercial properties that also are non-recourse loans. They're just making the loan to the entity. Uh, the collateral is the property and the uh, proof of income is what the uh, property earns. And 
So if the loan goes bad, they're not going to go after you personally. Uh, and that's really, as an investor, that's what you want to look for. Uh, when you get into the hard money business, that's most likely not going to happen uh, because when you're doing private money, hard money, they're more risky loans. They're more risky because <clears throat> we're doing them much quicker. Um, we are doing risky loans because most of them have a construction component. Most of the properties that we do are not ready for occupation which means that if we had to foreclose on them because of lack of payment, I don't have a property that I can turn around and sell to someone that's ready to move into it. I would have to get it fixed up, which means it's going to cost more money, which means it's going to take longer to get on the market, which means uh, from an investment point of view, uh, the longer the property takes to sell, um, so you have a, a wasted opportunity for the investment as a bank. Um, you don't care about taking the property, finishing it and trying to make a profit on it. What you're most concerned about with is how quickly can I get the money back that I've invested in this property and get it back working and making an income again. When, when you're in the mortgage business, you're not in the property business. Um, you're not there to own property. You're not there to get rental income from property. You're there to get mortgage payments, interest payments. And, and I know a lot of people think that a, a hard money lenders, I'll just take this property back and uh, I'll make the money that you were supposed to make on it when you thought uh, this project was going to work. <laughs> but that's not the case at all. If they were in that business, they would just buy the property. They, <laughs> they wouldn't make a loan on it. Um, but you have to um, turn that money over a lot quicker. So you loan less on it. So for example, the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars. You'd only let lend 65 or, or $70,000 on it. You need to have that cushion um, in place. So if you do have to foreclose on it, you're all you're looking for is to get your money back and get it reinvested. Um, but the benefit to a hard money loan is that it's not going to take you 30, 60 days to close on it. There, you're not going to have to get blood tests and stuff to <laughs> prove you're worthy uh, to get a loan. I mean, there's still going to be traditional stuff, credit reports, background checks. Um, uh, you have to have money in the bank because in real estate, there's always going to be uh, something that comes up and you're going to need to be able to overcome obstacles. So we, we require people to have uh, about six months worth of payments, at least in the bank. Uh, because we know things are going to happen. Nothing ever works out the way it's supposed to. Uh, and if it does, great, you have gravy. Um, that said, we still do uh, traditional appraisals on these properties. Uh, so we know how much they're worth now, and we know how much they will be worth when they're completed. We can close in seven to 10 days versus the, you know, the 30 to 60, and it's going to cost you more money. Our our typical rate runs about uh, 10 to 11%, but it, uh, in, it's interest only and it's annualized. So let's say it's a 10% loan and you, you only need six months uh, to complete this project. Well, if you only make six payments on an interest only loan at 10%, then in reality, you've only paid 5% interest. <laughs> so it sounds high but it's still very beneficial. This gives you an opportunity to get money to do a project, get the project uh, 
completed and sold. And that's a lot better than giving away part of the equity in your property to somebody who's going to invest with you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Yeah. And so the, the most important element for you is really that proposed value at the end for the person. Well, there's two things, uh, character of the borrower. And, and that's, um, you know, through the background checks, the credit reports, uh, the, the money in the bank, we, we first and foremost, we want to make sure they're going to pay us back. Secondly, uh, is the property. And we, we have a, a big cushion on that property and it's got to be, and in our particular case, we are the, uh, for our investors, we hit singles and doubles. Okay. We're not ha trying to hit the big home run. So we really only lend on uh, properties, single family homes that are going to be in that median price point. Um, what if for whatever market you're in that median price point, we're not going to do the big luxury homes. We're not going to do the odd commercial properties that if you end up taking it back, it takes you two years to get rid of the thing. We're not going to do that. We only do single family, multifamily and self storage because all of those are recession resistant or shelter. And we're always looking to make sure that we're in the most liquid part of the market. So our investors are happy. Our borrowers are happy because they can typically turn those properties over in a, um, short amount of time and, and go on to the next one. So your system is really important where you're able to keep your investors happy and you're able to yes. keep your clients happy. And so you of course are happy. Yes. Um, that's the whole point of this business here. If your borrowers are successful, your investors are successful, you're going to be successful. And, and that works in any business that you're in. If your customers are successful and the people that are investing in you are successful, you are going to be successful. That's why when you go into these mastermind groups, if you go in as a giver, you're not in there expecting advice or a return. You're going in there to give as much value as possible. You're always going to receive value. So good. So let's talk about the power of, of contribution, the power of giving in, in, in business. Well, I can tell you that our company does a lot. <laughs> um, we've, well, I have actually gone down to um, Ensenada and built homes uh, in Mexico. My sister, uh, is involved in building orphanages and churches. Uh, and we, we personally go uh, to these places and do it. And she's in Tanzania, uh, doing this work. We ask our employees, I'm sorry, team members, um, you know, what's near and dear to their heart. And, and, and we will contribute to, uh, 
charities that uh, they also uh, love and work with. It can't be just, it's not about just giving money. We have to be involved and see what's going on. And I'm telling you, it's easy to write a check, but you get so much more out of it when you're actually down on the ground and seeing the smiles and understanding their issues. I'm telling you that when I got back from Ensenada the first time and I crossed back over to the U.S. border and I'm looking around going, wow, I can't believe I was so upset about this person cutting me off in traffic. <laughs> these are, these are first world problems that we're having here. I've got uh, a whole family uh, living on uh, poles with tarps over their head on a dirt floor. And they got a, a couple of hot plates plugged into uh, electricity. And we just gave them now, again, these homes we're building, you, know, you and I would park our lawnmowers in them, uh, but this gives somebody a, a, an opportunity to have uh, a home with a real floor, uh, you know, two bedrooms and a little uh, living room kitchen kind of thing. Where before that, like I said, it's uh, post with tarps. Um, and these and these families have worked and put down money and bought the land that they're on. So they have, you know, they're not, we're not just building houses on rented land. These people have saved and, and, you know, purchased a little plot of land of their own. Um, and they are so grateful. And what's, what's awesome are, are the kids uh, that are down there. They're just smiling and having fun. And um, they have no idea uh, that they're not wealthy. <laughs> well, you, you hit two places in the world that, that touched my heart, having been both in Tanzania multiple times and Ensenada more times than I can count mm -hmm. and working similar projects, building homes and and church youth buildings and and supporting ministries in those places. And so you 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 hit hit a soft spot for me. Um, I I love the focus and not just writing a check that you're actually, you know, taking people and, and doing these projects yourself and involving your labor. Um, so valuable. Uh, like you mentioned, the, the heart transformation that happens when you experience another country and, and real, real world problems in comparison sure. to, you know, the things that we whine and complain about <laughs> in, in our situations. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, the Ensenada trip was, uh, put together uh, by uh, a couple of folks in uh, Collective Genius, which is a, a, a mastermind that I'm in that is uh, just real estate investors. And Scott Myers is the, uh, the fellow that uh, does most of this uh, with the Ensenada trip. And it was so funny, we had probably 20 of us from this real estate investor mastermind group. And none of us knew how to work a power saw or a hammer. Here we are doing all this real estate investing and uh, we had to have people show us how to work this stuff. Most of us were painting. <laughs> now I, I wired the home for electricity. Fortunately, there's no electric that's going there, uh, but it's wired anyway. Um, I'm, I'm 
I'm kidding. They, they do have power that goes to it. This one just didn't have it. And yes, they turned the generator on and plugged it in to make sure that I wired everything correctly. <laughs> um, one of the, <laughs> I'm wiring this whole house. I forgot to mark where each one was going. <laughs> and I had, anyway, I did have to switch a couple, but nothing blew up. So that's important. Yeah. So let's let's talk about how that shifts and, and impacts your gratitude and, and the power of gratitude in, in your personal growth journey. Um, given to other causes and 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 have and going on these trips. Um, what, and I've always been like this. I I don't really know how to how to put this, but I've always treated everybody equally. You you never know. You, you there's a you know a, a guy that looks like he's homeless might be a billionaire, and a guy that looks like he's a billionaire he might be this close to being homeless. Um, treat the uh, staff at places where you're going just like you would you know any friend. Um, just be respectful of everyone. Uh, because you know what? I, I, like I said, I was in the mortgage industry for 20 some odd years. I was um, in a really good place. I had, you know, over a half a million dollars in my 401k. I had an expense account. I was making, you know, six figures and I was just happy as a, I don't know what you call it, but I was, I was happy. And then all of a sudden the, the rugs pulled out from under you. And now I'm, you know, driving a tractor trailer, sleeping in the vehicle. Um, it, it, it's humbling and you have to, you, you have to treat everyone re with respect. And I, and I think uh, being uh, in that particular position and uh, going to these other countries and seeing where other people are, uh, people just want to be respected. That's all. It's a, it's a human problem. And, and we're all human. And for some reason, we've, we've decided to put people into categories to, to say that some are less human than others. And, and that's certainly not true. No, heck no. Um, I ha I've met some of the nicest people that have uh, nothing. And I've met some of the, well, we'll say not so nice people that have everything. And I, I think some, some of that stems from the people that have what you think everything uh, and don't treat you properly, I think part of their problem is that they've established uh, monetary value as a goal instead of uh, achieving a, a goal for a particular reason that has nothing to do with money and money just comes along with it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think I, I in my book, I talk about that entrepreneurs are in business to make money, period. It's okay to make money. You have to make money. You want to make money, but it can't be about the money. Right. Because you know what? You'll never reach your goal because enough is never enough, right? <laughs> There's somebody that's always got more than you. You can't say, I want to be the richest person in the world because somebody is always going to end up being a little bit ahead of you. <laughs> and probably a few people. Yeah. And, and that's okay because... The idea of taking better care of people, I think entrepreneurs are going to save the world. I think entrepreneurship is the most important 
um, opportunity that we have, the biggest, greatest freedom we have in this country is the fact that you can start your own business in a, in a way that helps and serves people and get compensated well for it. Sure. And then entrepreneurs are going to be the ones that solve these problems that the government isn't going to solve. It's going to talk about it and throw money at it and do all these things, but it won't solve them. But entrepreneurs are problem solvers and entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to go into these places and create active solutions like, Hey, they're homeless. Let's build them a house. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they, they're too many orphans here. Let's build an orphanage and, and create real opportunities that really do bring solutions because entrepreneurs are ultimately problem solvers and action takers. Yes. Well said. <laughs> well, and we I think real estate investors, you know, as a whole are, are entrepreneurial, right? They're, 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 they're willing to take a little bit of risk that most people won't and, and put themselves out there. And I see, I see right now more and more of those communities trying to um, hold real estate investors back, right? Limit the number of rental properties or limit the number of um, it, it's interesting to, to see how the market is trying to be manipulated, I guess. Well, it's uh, it's interesting that they're trying to do that because when you look at the overall real estate market, when it comes to single family homes, you have institutions that on the um, multifamily side, they have about 75% of the market in multifamily and in single family, as much as you hear about, you know, institutional investors buying up all these single family homes, they really only control about four and a half percent of the market. Hmm. And it's hard to believe that, but that's, that's true. Um, it's very difficult to uh, purchase and manage uh, properties that are far flung. That's why they, most of them stick with multifamily because they can uh, maintain it and manage it, you know, basically all under one roof. It just makes more sense that way. But uh, they are, and I forget what, uh, company put this data out, but, um, institutions are preparing something like, uh, $40 billion in uh, purchases of single family homes in the next year. That's a lot of money. Now, yes, it is. If they're buying them all in California, probably not so much. Right. <laughs> or, or here in Colorado, values are, are pretty crazy. Um, and, and you have a lot of home builders are, are now switching over to the uh, build to rent model too. And part of the problem with municipalities and people in government trying to get into the market to control things is that they end up messing it up what they should do is let the market take care of it. Um, stop putting these rules in place. You, you know, those NIMBY rules, not in my backyard and allow more home building to go on. Um, a, a lot of the uh, areas of the country where uh, the prices are so high is because the local municipalities are making it so difficult to build new homes. And all that's doing is, making the prices unaffordable for the, the people that they say they want to help. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned masterminds as, as pretty powerful. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about mentors. In, in what ways have mentors served you and, and how would you encourage um, real estate investors to, to find a mentor? Um, it's always better to learn what not to do from someone who didn't do it or shouldn't have done it than for you to do it. <laughs> and that, that's what a mentor is there for. They've already got the bumps and bruises and you need to learn from them. So you don't get those bumps and bruises. Right. Uh, but uh, a mentor uh, will continually raise the bar for you. Okay. Uh, in 2000 and, and again, I wish I had, my phone with me because I've been showing you some pictures right now. In uh, March of 2017, I was at an event and I had my picture taken with a group of people. And I looked at that picture and I had so many chins. I was, I this can't be me. There's no way I'm that large. And sure enough, I, I looked like, I look like one of the uh, balloon floats in the Macy's Day Parade, standing Ouch. there with this big giant coat and big fat face. And anyway, I saw that picture and I went, "Oh no, no, no! Uh, this is not going to happen." My father-in-law had passed away uh, uh, just before then, and he was uh, always overweight, had diabetes. Towards the end, we. Uh, he didn't have much use of his legs and he had become a burden on his family. And he hated that. Uh, he would fall down at night and we, I only lived one house over from him. He would fall down at night and not call to help us pick him up because he didn't want to be a burden. He just lay on oh, the floor. Wow. That's and, terrible. Uh, and anyway, I, I looked at myself and I said, I'm going down that same path and I'm not going to let that happen. And if, if it wasn't for uh, some of my mastermind uh, colleagues and friends who helped set that bar for me. Uh, I, I ended up, by the way, I ended up losing 30 pounds. I uh, joined a gym, which is only the first step because I messed around for a month trying to figure out how to work the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I finally realized because I'm in a lot of coaching programs and masterminds that if I want to uh, do this properly, I need to hire a coach. So I got, <laughs> I got trained, you know, I, I had individual training and I made sure that I purchased the most expensive uh, one they had. And, and so it, I, I felt like if I was going to make a commitment of a car payment per month to my fitness, then I would definitely show up. <laughs> and I did. And I'm at, right now I'm in the best shape of my life. I, I end up going to the gym uh, and we already talked about this at least 45 minutes a day. I'm in the, I'm in the gym. I, so let's talk like, about that, that value proposition, right? So many people get caught up in price, but you recognize that if I make this investment, this value, then I'm, it's not just, it's not just my money involved. Now it's my commitment involved. Yeah. So, well, so that and my commitment to my family, um, it's, it's a small price to pay for uh, years of uh, happy living. And it's not just me. I, again, I, I didn't want to be a burden on my, my family. Um, but I, I know my motivations and I'm kind of cheap. So if, I'm, if I make the investment, I'm going to follow through with it. <laughs> um, and it, it, it paid off. I, I, I quickly lost a bunch of weight and I was in, uh, 
beginning that that journey, and now it's uh, it's been almost five years, and I I now feel guilty if I miss the gym one day. I still stay in group classes at least twice a week because uh, I want to have that same kind of camaraderie and raising the bar with the other people in our classes. Um, I don't want to, if I miss a class there, I want to make sure I'm there because I feel like I've let them down because I didn't show up. Uh, but we also uh, help push each other. There's a good healthy competition, you know, in these classes. Now, uh, um, I'll be 64 next month and I'm in there with 30 something that I'm wearing out. So I, I love that part of it too. <laughs> nice. A little bit of personal ego. <laughs> nice. So you mentioned obviously family's important to you. So we'll we'll turn it a little bit. What's uh what what was your most memorable date? With my wife or before that, that's that's usually the choice. I <laughs> um my, I know it's a little odd. Uh, I met my wife throwing darts in a bar. <laughs> um, people are going, what? Darts? Yes, I used to be in a dart league. I won two trips to Las Vegas and got paid uh, uh, hotel flights, and they gave me appearance money. To nice. Two tournaments in Las Vegas. Anyway, I threw darts in a league in Charlotte, and you know, they had a, a a mixed league, so they had women and men in the you know same thing, just like bowling, I guess. And my most memorable date was when we were out uh, at a uh, dart thing, and my wife beat me. <laughs> 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 and I had, I get to hear about it every probably six months or so. Remember, I kicked your butt in darts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you were the best in the world at, I couldn't beat you. <laughs> well, I wouldn't quite say best in the world, but well, best in your world. I, I was, <laughs> I, I was uh, not bad in the in the country, but not in the world. What do you, what do you, so what do you love to do in your free time? Um, in my free time now, I spend a, a lot of time uh, inshore saltwater fishing. Uh, so I got a place in Inglewood, Florida. I get down there as much as I can. Uh, the flights are getting a little bit more expensive now for a long weekend, but uh, I enjoy getting out and spending some quiet time with uh, trout, redfish, and snook. <laughs> it's a blast. Nice. All right, Bill, what, what inspires you? Um, what inspires me is um, watching others achieve. Um, and, and we have a great team here and it's funny over the past few years, watching their growth is, uh, really inspires me. Nice. That's encouraging. I know you and I chatted a little bit about you wanting to reward your team for, you know, for the progress, right. Rather than just having everybody, you know, getting an hourly pay, you, you wanted to, to recreate a pay system basically so that, 
so that everybody gets compensated based on production, based sure. on on results. And and I I love that about you that that you're you're thinking because really they'll all probably make more rather than yeah. it's not it wasn't it wasn't hey I want to I want to make sure they're they're being productive I want to make sure they're you know it wasn't that kind of piecework idea it was I want to reward them for the success that they're having and, and I thought that was that was a pre pretty telling statement about your heart for your people well um, most people don't I mean everybody has to make a living right but people don't work at a place uh, just because of the money. They work there because they're a part of something. Uh, they're contributing to something that uh, is bigger than themselves. And what we do in this company is we allow small business entrepreneurs uh, the funding so they can provide for their families and their employees. And at the same time, we're improving neighborhoods. So we're making neighborhoods uh, much nicer. Um, more uh, so we're, we're adding to community there and and then on the investor side of things we are helping people save for their retirement getting passive income and one of the things that i have to say this by the way this is a passion of mine is that our uh, retirement system is broken um, here's the retirement plan you need to save up this much money when you stop working, you are then going to start taking from that money and then hope that you die before you run out of it. That is not a plan. A, a plan is to take that chunk of money and make it continually work for you and provide you with an income over time, not, not taking anything off the principal. So then you can create a legacy either for your family or for whatever cause you want. That's the plan. And that's what we do on our investment side is that we teach people how to take their active income and turn it into passive income so they can continue, you know, uh, their legacy, their good works. And like I said, our company is providing all this and our team is uh, creating something that's uh, bigger than them. And I want them to participate in, in, in all this, including the rewards. Yeah, I think that that's very telling. And, and indeed, not only is that system broken, the people that are selling us the system are, are biased and, and still not required to tell people, you know, oh, by selling you these financial pieces, I, I benefit more or less, right? And so right. I'm motivated to sell you into these things because, because I benefit more from them rather than these are the best things for you based on your goals sure. <laughs> and needs. And so... The system is definitely is definitely broken, along with our banking system and and <laughs> and a few others. <laughs> but well, uh, <laughs> there are um, certified financial planners that are a fiduciary of their customers, and uh, they get paid uh, only from the customer. So there are companies like that, but there's not enough of them. Uh, that's for sure. And well, and, and they it, still don't include they still don't include real estate investing typically. Right. And well, so that's they're, because they've all been little... off the stock market. That's the problem. Right. Um, what, well, that what... mess is that mess is going to mess itself right out of its <laughs> reliability <laughs> right now. So, what I what I find that is uh, troubling, and Congress still allows this to happen. It, there was a bill uh, before Congress to change this, but they decided not to take it up. Is where 
I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a loaded mutual fund. And what that means is there's a fee they're charging you. So let's say that I'm, I'm going to give you $100,000 to invest in this mutual fund. The load is $5,000. So they're taking 5,000 off your investment right off the top. So now you have 95,000 you're investing in. But every, every month when I get my statement, it says 100,000. <laughs> How come it doesn't say 95? So they're still showing your, your earnings based on that 100,000 beginning and it's going up. That, that is so wrong. Absolutely. Well, it's just there's no transparency, not complete transparency. Yep. And, 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 and then you're right. You have all kind of fees in there. You have no idea you're even being charged until you sell out, until you sell it. So, yeah. Or Pretty crazy. Un, until you lose it all and you say, hey, I have a balance. Not really. <laughs> yeah, that's our part that's right. <laughs> we, we're keeping that because you're broke and we're still going to benefit correct yeah. now listen you can there's still really good companies to invest in um, I and again I'm biased because I'm a little bit older but, but if you're going to invest in companies uh, in the stock market please invest companies that actually earn a profit uh, not something that has a promise to earn a profit um, if, if you're, if you're really young and you want to swing for the fences, that may be okay. But, uh, for the most of us, if you're going to invest in, uh, a company, invest in something that earns an income. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and be willing to ask. It's, it's yeah. okay to ask. I think more and more I've had conversations of so many of the financial issues in our country are because people don't, we were told not to talk about money or sex. Right. And so you're not, yeah. not supposed to talk about money. And so you're not allowed to talk about your salary. And so now women are making less money than men because they're not allowed to talk about the salary. Sure. And, and the truth is, if we just started talking about our salary, the same way as mortgages, there's communities that are paying fees on their mortgages or higher mortgage rates because they've been told not to talk about money and they don't ask their neighbors, wait, well, hey, what's the mortgage rate you're paying? What's the mortgage rate you're paying? What are the fees sure. they're charging you? And, and, and make sure that that's where transparency will start to come because the, the real freedom of speech in this country is our ability to talk about deals and talk about money. And sure. you and I both know that, you know, the wealthy in those mastermind groups are talking about their money and they're sure. talking about their deals and they're sharing what's going on and what's working. And I think more and more people need to be willing to talk about their money and say, Hey, this is where I'm putting it. This is what I'm doing with it. And, sure. and this is what's working. Well, uh, a lot of that goes back to just your, high school education, they do not teach uh, financial uh, classes at all in high school. I mean, when I was in high school, the only thing they taught me how to do was balance a checkbook. And that was it. Uh, they don't teach you the basic finances you need to function in society right now. And um, I'll end this with um, a, a, a saying from, and this was from Einstein. He said, those who understand interest receive it those who don't pay it. <laughs> Absolutely. We just need Absolutely. to educate people on uh, basic finance. All right, Bill, what's, what's the big dream? Well, my big dream is to where my passive uh, income will allow me to do the same um, uh, trips to Ensenada on a regular basis or even Guatemala. I know um, some friends that, help an orphanage down there as well. But when I'm not there, 
I'm going to be at my place in Inglewood doing in inshore saltwater fishing. <laughs> nice. I want I want my legacy to be that uh, I've improved communities and I've improved people's lives in uh, different places. Bill, I love that. All right, you're spending an hour with a young entrepreneur, real estate investor, and you'll leave them with Bill's words of wisdom. What would you share? Uh, get a mentor. Uh, and join a group of like-minded individuals. Uh, you can't do this on your own. It is a team sport, even though you're an individual entrepreneur. It's still a team sport. Now, you have to learn from others and keep your mind completely open. And when you become an, an old entrepreneur, listen to the young ones because they have ideas you never thought of. <laughs> so good. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate the conversation and I've learned a ton and uh, just uh, looking forward to all the ways we continue to collaborate together. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Robert. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Brennan Burns and Robert dig deep into Brennan's success and failures. He's very open about his emotional journey and the struggles of addiction in the midst of his success. Brennan shares the freedom he has found in dealing with his issues in a healthy way. He's had great success in making connections and serving others to make a larger impact.